Hey, I'm sure that coffee is really good. I'm sure the conversations are even better. But, I, but Preston gave me the quick summary on his sermon, and it's going to be good. So if you could come find your way back uh, to your seat, I've got a couple of announcements for us. And then we're going uh, to turn it over to Preston uh, to share a little bit of some of the things that, that he's been thinking and praying and studying on this week. So, Hey, um, I have a few announcements for us as, you're, as those of you who are still in line uh, are making your way back to your chairs. And the first is uh, a 50-plus announcement. Okay, so if you are 50-plus, uh, sign in front. Okay, this, this is, there does come a, light, a time in your life when... Um, you get really close, like even just, I was standing at the back and I was like, in, t in two years I can join this group, which was both exciting and a bit on the shocking side, actually, this is a little bit of each, but our 50 plus folks have been getting together and uh, connecting and uh, they do that over coffee and tea and a few other, other ways. And, and they, their real goal is to make Jesus kind of the center of some of those kinds of conversations. So uh, if you are in the 50-plus uh, demographic, uh, they would love to have you join them. And you are starting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point this out, the second Wednesday of every month, starting on April 13th, at Bill and Nell's house. So I won't make you stand up, Bill and Nell, but could you give a little wave at least? There you go. Uh, so if you're interested uh, in... in uh, in hearing more about that, you can go and ask them directly, uh, or you can go to lakeridgecommunity.com forward slash, okay, I can grow. One of our tech guys, he once told me I need to stop saying backslash, I need to say forward slash, because it's actually a forward slash. So forward slash small group, there you go, Patrick, just clearing that up for everybody. Love for you to do that. Also, as you can see, folks are coming back into Lake Ridge and getting a, to be a part here now that some of the restrictions have lifted. And there are so many places to get involved and to volunteer. And uh, to give of your time, your talents, and your treasure here at Lake Ridge, we would love to have you do that. And that's not just about volunteering. That's about learning how to live out the values that Lake Ridge has. And, uh, and so there are areas in every one of our ministries that are looking for people to be involved. And so I encourage you to give some thought and some consideration some consideration uh, to being here and being a part of kind of what is happening at Lake Ridge. Uh, for example, uh, the coffee and the connections team are looking for people to, to be a part of what's happening. The, the children's ministry people are looking for people to be involved there. And it's not just teaching kids, but it's also some administrative things and some stuff like that. We're, we are always looking for people to help us take down and set up. This morning, one of the things we were talking, I was talking with a couple of guys, that, that actually there's only three people at Lake Ridge right now that have a vehicle that is big enough to pull our church trailer on Sunday mornings. And, and one of them just resigned and is, is planning to leave at the end of May for a while, and that's going to leave a gap. So if, if, if you do have a big truck or you just you have a you know, Honda Civic that you like to pull things with, with it, then, then maybe that's, that's for you, okay? So there's all these opportunities to kind of get involved. And this is the bottom line. This is how we live out our values. And this is also actually how you get to build relationships with people. When we serve together, we build relationships. We find out what's going on in each other's lives. And it is one of the most beautiful ways that Lake Ridge uh, gets to live out its, uh, its values. I have like one more announcement. I'm going to hand over the mic to Dell, actually. But for now, uh, those, are, those are a couple... Actually, I have two more announcements. We are always so grateful that you give uh, both of your time and your talents, but also of your treasure, and we have done that a lot this last year. So we are grateful for that. Thank you so much for giving financially to Lake Ridge and helping us to continue to love people in our city. Um, it's a huge deal that we, we have the resources to, to live out our values in this city and love our neighbors and, and do the things that we believe God has set on our heart to do. So we're grateful for that. You can continue to give through sending e-transfers at giving at lakeridgecommunity.com. There's a debit machine at the back. There's a box at the back. Canada Helps also. You can find us on Canada Helps. There's multiple ways 
if you would like to continue to give or, or to start giving at Lake Ridge, we would love for you to consider doing that. My last announcement is uh, at the end of the month, uh, on April the 28th at 7 p.m. at Camp Chestmere, uh, the Unpacked podcast uh, is doing a live event. And uh, this is one of the things that has started out of Lake Ridge, um, and we, we were inviting all people in our neighborhood, in our community at Lake Ridge, as well as our family of churches. They are having the annual general meeting of our family of churches in Strathmore that weekend. And on Thursday night, this is the kickoff event for that conference, as well as an opportunity to hear uh, our guest. And we have our guest now. Her name is Maureen Spidell. Maybe some of you know her. She's a psychologist here in the city. And she actually was one of the people who helped us start the Unpacked podcast. And one of our very first guests, way back like a year and, and, and some months ago. And we're going to be just talking about what, restoring relationships. What does it look like for us to restore relationships uh, in our personal lives, at work, all the different places. And uh, we're going to just unpack a bunch of that kind of stuff. So you're, you're welcome to join us. Um, we are, uh, it's free, but we are asking you to get tickets just so we know how many people are there. So you can go to the unpackedpod.ca uh, and get, get your free tickets there. Just sign up for them there. We'd love to have you join us. That's all from me. Del, I'm going to let you take it from here, and then you can turn it over uh, to Preston. My name's Del. Good morning. So smile a little bit. Do you know if you practice smiling, it actually changes the way you feel? Everybody smile right now. Just smile a little bit. Look at your neighbor, smile at them. Doesn't that feel good? No, don't stick out your tongue, Brenda. That's not what I said. Hey, Evan, do you know how many days, hours, and minutes it is till you're done here? We do. We, we do. We've been counting, right? So we, we know. Hey, uh, a lot of people don't know that Evan, ha maybe if you don't know, Evan and his uh, family have resigned as uh, of May 31st of this year. And uh, we are uh, so delighted that they have been part of our lives for all these years. There's no way we can express it. Now, Evan resigned. He didn't get fired, just so you know. Like, Ev his last job, he got fired. A lot of you don't know that. But Ev Evan used to work in an orange juice factory, and he got fired because he couldn't concentrate. I, I'm sure that's true. I heard that one before. So a lot of groans going on around here. Hey, uh, when you leave today, you're going to get one of these sheets because we want to express our thanks. Am I in trouble? Oh, that's right. We're on television. Sorry. Only twenty nine ninety five if you pay now. Uh, we are so grateful to have the DeWald family as part of our lives for the last 10, 11, 12 years, whatever it was when Lake Ridge took off. Uh, a little group of about 10 people believed that God was going to do something amazing in Chestmere, and God was already working here, and so we thought we can join in on that. And here we are in 2022, this group of people have been through a pandemic and been through all kinds of crazy stuff, and here we are, and God is still at work. Yes, that's what I like to hear. So uh, we are so grateful for the impact that they have had in our lives. And uh, Evan was one of my students when I was teacher at a Bible college. And so was Preston, one of my students, teaching at a Bible college. So don't blame me. I didn't do anything. I just, um, and now he, they are both my pastors, and now we are uh, bidding farewell to Evan. And so we're going to collect a goodbye gift. We're going to uh, send them off. And so when you leave here, you're going to get this sheet which talks about a goodbye gift that we can gather together, a financial gift, and pull that together and give them a gift as they uh, head on to whatever God has for them next. Does that sound good? And so you can, because this is a gift, again, it's not uh, tax deductible, so we can't offer receipts. But there's several ways to give on the sheet you'll find. You can give cash or check to me or Marie Cook. I don't see her, but she's probably here with Theo somewhere. Um, or Kevin Castanero. And, uh, or you can give uh, e-transfer to Marie, and it's on this sheet. The, the instructions are on this sheet. Plus, there's some really cool pictures of that. Plus, he's wearing a flames cap, so I really like that. So, All right, so we love the DeWalt's, and we're going to send them off in the best way that we know how. Does that sound good? And then the, uh, towards the end of May, then we're going to have a big celebration party and send them off with our love and our blessings. Okay, sound good? Okay, sorry about the orange juice thing, but it just seemed like the most fun. <laughs> Awesome. Well, good morning. Uh, we are in this stretch towards Easter. It's a week away till Easter, and this is a day that we often call 
Palm Sunday and it's a day that we kind of relive out this story a little bit. One thing I wanted to do before we got into our message is I want to show you something because this is a time of year where we encounter some words and some symbols and some ideas that are very foreign to our Canadian Western Chestermere mind. <laughs> Things like sacrifice and atonement and cross of Christ. If, you, if you're new to faith in Jesus, you might look at or hear those words and go, I can orient me a little bit here, right? Can you help me figure out where this is coming from? Well, I think it's really important for us as a church to do that, to orient us to some of these words. And so we're going to watch a short little video that helps us understand this theme of sacrifice. And I th it'll help me then take us through some scripture this morning as we carry on on our series uh, about small boat big sea. And I think you'll see something come together that I'm quite excited for. So let's show that. It's just a short little uh, clip here. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead. And we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hmm. You know, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good, he should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and, and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace, too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. <laughs> But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant, and not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to his sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. 
it covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in this world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us, so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil, which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is this sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples, and he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source, the very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. Cool, eh? Very, very interesting. I find that super, super helpful. Hey, we are journeying, and we are going to circle back on this, but we are journeying on this sermon series called Small Boat Big Sea. We've been working through this Lent journey around the Sea of Galilee. Now remember, the Sea of Galilee, it's bigger than Lake Chestermere by quite a bit, but it's not huge, huge. And it's enough that a group of people lived around there. And that's where Jesus spent the core of his ministry years, was around the Sea of Galilee. He was doing something there. He showed up to an ordinary group of people living on the shores of this place. And everything he did, every little moment that he touched, or everything we have recorded in, in the Gospels, leads to pointing to making sense of what Jesus is doing in the world and ultimately in us. So there's a lot to pay attention here, and it's, it's actually quite a lot of fun. So we, uh, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Evan took us on a journey where the, the disciples, they were crossing on the boat, and they encountered a storm, and it was crazy, and then we come to where they were going. So they just encountered something, so we're going to pick up at that spot. And so if you have your scripture along with us, we are going to take a look at Mark 5, uh, 1 to 20, and I want to un unpack that. And there's so much going on on here that I think helps us understand what some of these other symbols are, are about. Let's take a look here. So Jesus, he had been out there with his disciples, and, they, and he had calmed the storm. Jesus, of course, he fell asleep on this boat, and when he woke up, he said to the storm with his words, he said, silence, be still. And everything calmed down. And his followers, his disciples, it says they were terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So this is just what they encountered. Now they're pulling on to the shore, their destination. Their destination is a place on the other side of the sea that is the no-go zone. It's Kinneberg, Right? I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke for anybody living there. Sorry, 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 sorry. This is the other side of the lake. This is where you don't go. Why? Because it is a Hellenistic area. It is pagan. It is, the, it is all the things that is not Jewish. <laughs> it is idols. It is, it is a place that to the Jewish people was very evil. You did not go there if you were a good Jew because you would encounter ideas and people and practices that were counter to your faith as a Jewish person. So you stayed away. There's an area called the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. And these Ten Cities, archaeologists can find them, and it kind of defines this area on the other side. Well, this is where Jesus goes. 
you got to love Jesus, right? He takes his disciples in across the tracks, so to speak. And he's about to, to do something. It's really, I think, in, in a very beautiful story. So, they arrived to the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by evil spirit came out from the cemetery to meet him. So, picture this. They pull up right away. Jesus is coming to this place, and right away, somebody, one person from this community is running to him. But he's a crazy person. And it describes just how crazy he is. And Mark, who usually tightens things up, packs a lot of punch here. He actually tells the longest version of this story. And he says this, This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with chains. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains with his, from his wrists and smashed the shackles. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. He was a tortured individual. There's something, Jesus had just been encountering a natural phenomenon called a storm, and he calmed it, and people said, this is, this is, this is amazing. They were terrified. And now they're encountering this man who's experiencing something that seems quite supernatural. He's, he's a demon-possessed man who does these things of breaking chains, but he's in the deep amount of pain. He's living among the dead. He's living, but he's among the dead. So Jesus, this is the person who runs out to meet Jesus when Jesus steps off the boat. So when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him. And this is what he did. He bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering me with Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Isn't this amazing? This man, who is under so much pain, so much agony for the life that he has living in these caves, he is coming and he is about to encounter, get this, he is about to encounter the one person who both made him and can make him well again. He is encountering freedom incarnate. He's encountering the one person who can liberate him from the chains and the shackles of his life. And But guess what he sees first? He says, don't torture me. He is so afraid of pain and whatever that even when he encounters something that's going to give him life, he thinks it's going to give him pain, right? Do you ever in, in, in encounter this too? I do as, as a parent. I say, no, like, stop eating all of that. You know, get that out of your mouth, especially when it's young, right? And we want to intervene and say, this is better for you. But this man is encountering something so much worse that he's afraid of being tortured and hurt. Now, there's something interesting going on with this man here that is, uh, that's pointed out by a number of theologians and so on. It's that this community had chained up outside of it a man who was a tortured soul. <laughs> it said they tried to chain him up. They wanted to keep him there. They wanted to maybe keep him out of the village, but they didn't want him running too far. They liked having him out in the burial caves. Why? Why would a community want that? Well, there's this phenomenon that happens in this ancient world, and it probably happens in places today, where a community that experiences evil, that experiences hard things, what do they do? They have actually a scapegoat, a person that the kids can go and throw rocks at, right? A person on the edge of town that you can go and curse. Why? Because it's a lot better when you have somebody outside of your village who is the epitome of evil and all that is bad, because guess what? You can always point at them at being bad, right? There's the bad guy. I'm not, I'm, I'm not as bad as Jerry over in the caves there, right? That guy made some bad choices. That guy's, made some, that guy's done some bad things with his life. He's full of demons. Did you hear? Oh, not as bad as me. Not as bad as me and my family. Kids, don't grow up and be like Jerry. I'm calling him Jerry. I don't even know where I came up with, with Jerry. That is not scriptural. He is the scapegoat for the community. Jesus steps off, and right away, this scapegoat, who is carrying 
the evil of his life and maybe the community around him is carrying all this and he runs out shrieking. He says, don't torture me. Don't bring me more pain. And yet he does not know who he is encountering in this moment, does he? He does not know, but he's about to. Beautiful story. Jesus had already said to him, come out of this man, evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? I love this. Jesus, often when he's encountering the most tortured, hurting, fearful people, what does he say often? What is your name? Right? Jesus is interested to know the person. Not the demons, not the pain of uh, of it all, but this guy, he doesn't even know his, his name. Jesus asks, what is your name? And this is what the man says. He says, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside of this man. His identity is no longer the name that he's been given. It is all of the evil and demons and whatever he is carrying, that has become his identity. And Jesus calls out through him. This man says, don't torture me, I am Legion. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Well, there happened to be a huge, large herd of pigs feeding in a hillside nearby. Send us into these pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus does something interesting. Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of this man and entered the pigs. The entire herd, about 2,000 pigs, plunged down into the steep hillside and into the lake and drown in the water. This is weird. Any any pig fans here? Anybody got a got a thing for pigs? This is this is this is a challenging bit of scripture, right? This is a challenging bit of scripture. Two thousand quality bacon producing animals are gone. Jesus sends these over. But it's interesting what Jesus is doing here. He is taking this man on whom the whole community kept as the guy outside of town. The guy that was heaped upon, that carried all the evil, that we could all point at and say, he's always worse than all of us. And Jesus meets him. Doesn't torture him. And calls him by name and calls him out and says, listen, this is going off of you. You are not the scapegoat of this community. You are not the carrier of evil. You are made sacred. I made you. I love you. This is not who you were made to be. And I free you. I liberate you from this identity. From this burden that you're carrying that's been placed upon you. That may, it, He doesn't even ask how he came about to be in this way. He took it off and sent it away into, maybe not scapegoat, but scape pigs. <laughs> now it's interesting, the pigs were a symbol not of Jewish history, but of Gentile pagan history. And so we can unpack why he might have gone into the pigs and why they died and all of that. But it was gone. It was away and into the dark, deep water. And the water represented the chaos. And he sent it away. Now, you would think if the community was excited about this, their friend who lives in the, their, their scapegoat that they keep chained up out there, you would think that these people would come out and be cheering, right? Let's see. What happens with these people? Instead of encountering this freedom like this man did, it said this, the herdsmen fled into the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. And people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus. So remember, we were first encountered with one person that runs out to Jesus and he encounters freedom. But this time we encounter a crowd and their response is different. A crowd soon gathers around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, drinking hot chocolate, one version has, right? They were all afraid. Those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Interesting. The story is a way to read the Bible sometimes is to take a look at movement. Jesus comes with his disciples and moves in on a little boat, piles out, and just as he's moving to the man, this man comes running towards him. 
says, don't torture me. And Jesus says, and Jesus frees him. Does the opposite. Calls him and says, what is your name? And now he's sitting there in the same mind again. Another group, they come running towards him too. But they have a different response, right? They see and they are afraid. They don't see the liberty that Jesus brings. They only see their, their nice little setup of their pigs and their guy chained up, their, their way of making their little world right. And they turn around, they're like, get out of here. We don't want this here. You just wrecked something for us. And they want Jesus gone. We encounter this a number of times, the way Jesus operates. So as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Take me with you. Take me with you. This is great news. And Jesus said to him, no, go to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of the region and began to proclaim the great news that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed by what he told them. His story made them amazed. He went back and said, I have something good to show you. I was this way and now I'm not. I ran out to meet Jesus. I thought he would torture me. I was so dark in what I was dealing with. I didn't even believe that I could experience anything but more torture. And Jesus meets me. My Savior meets me and he took off of me the weight of all that I carried. I was a non-person and now I'm a person and I am free. He took it off. He took it off. All the weight of being your scapegoat, of being this, the evil that was on me is now off of me. And I want to tell you. And people were amazed. He was one of the first real preachers, right? A missionary. Beautiful. Jesus was not his captor. Jesus was his liberator. And the creator had come to him. He was living among the dead as though dead. And in this moment, he meets the author of life. tell another story about outside of another town there was another place where people would take the sin and the evil of their community and they would put it on some other people but they're a little bit more sophisticated outside of the town of Jerusalem is a place called Golgotha it was a bunch of caves too a bunch of burial tombs and in the middle of these burial tombs was a little hill and on top of that hill they would put some crosses these Hellenistic Romans who were doing it in the ten cities also had a more efficient way of doing it right outside of Jerusalem. And they would set up some crosses, and guess who they'd put there? Their most evil people, right? People on whom the sin of their culture could just be mounted. And so they would take, they'd pile it on somebody. Is it Barabbas? No, give us Barabbas, right? Who is it? Well, in this day, on Easter morning, Guess who they put on a cross? Put a couple criminals and Jesus. Why? Because outside of this town, as long as there was somebody hanging on the cross out there, then they're a lot worse than me, right? We can put somebody on there, and guess what? We can sneer at them. We can spit on them. We can jeer at them. We can curse them and pile all my curses on these evil, awful people in my community and slowly purge and purify our community of evil. And so we do. We go and these Romans, they would all do it and they set up and there they are. But there was something about to happen different on this day. On this day, this was not the ordinary criminals of the day that deserved perhaps what they were, their comeuppance. On this day, God put himself in the story. Jesus, the creator and author of life, was the one who was about to be hung on the cross. It was about to change everything, called a glitch in the system. But when God is the one who steps in to take upon the jeers and sneers and evil of the world, God is about to do something to utterly change what the story is about. The outcasts on Golgotha, the scapegoat. It's interesting, Jesus set this up perfectly, didn't he? Because it's a lamb that's sacrificed, not a goat. And Jesus comes and sets himself up as the lamb who was slain. Not the scapegoat in the ten cities, but the lamb whose blood would be shed for the healing of people. Not once a year, but forever. 
Jesus takes on the sin of the world. And there he is. Jesus was that, took on all of the evil of that, was carried upon not just his community, not just his friends or disciples, to be cast out to the edge of town. But guess what? He's taking on the evil of the whole world. In 1 Corinthians one twenty three, Paul says this. He says this, So we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. The Jews are offended, and to the Gentiles they say it's all nonsense. <laughs> we preach Christ crucified. I've often wondered about that. Because I don't often come here when I, when I preach and say, let's point at the cross. <laughs> we bring it out once in a while, but it is a beautiful image because guess what? As Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. It is on Jesus that everything goes. And when we orient everything that we think needs to be right in the world and we orient towards the cross as the right place that all of the sin that we experience in the world goes on him on the cross, then it goes someplace where it can actually be resolved. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm very keen on Jesus saying, love God and love your neighbor. But this is not just a really good moral pursuit. Do you guys, does anybody here have an awful neighbor? <laughs> does anybody here have a neighbor that plays their music really loud? Parks their car where they shouldn't? Does anybody here have somebody in their life that they don't appreciate? A family member? Somebody? There we go. Got some honesty in the front rows here. Are they somebody that you pour all of your wrath and anger on? Are there people around you that when they insult you, you have one ready to come back at them? Well, Paul says we preach Christ crucified. There are no scapegoats in our Christian faith, in our neighborhood, or in our city. If they look different, smell different, act different, do things that you even think are evil and bad, do you know where your wrath and your justice goes? On the cross. There's only one place that that can go where it is resolved. And it is on the cross of Christ. That's why Paul says, I preach Christ crucified. If we think we are going to resolve anything that's broken in our hearts, or in our communities, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our world, if we think that we are going to take that and just put it on another scapegoat, it will always be a tortured man down in a uh, graveyard. <laughs> who carries the burden of a broken world. And Jesus came to liberate him first and then say, no, it goes on me. If you have a problem with somebody, put it on me. If you have an evil in your own heart, guess what? Put it on me. Put it on me. Because I resolve it once and for all. I preach Christ crucified. When we live with this as our primary message, guess what? We can resolve everything. Because Jesus resolved everything. I preach Christ crucified. So our hope is in Christ crucified. It leads us to the place where we can worship God and love our neighbor. We can say, thank you, Jesus. You took it. You took it. That person that offended me, you took it. I praise you, God. Can I come follow you? Can I tell you what you've liberated me from? I no longer have to justify myself. I no longer am in charge of making myself right in this world, of defending myself. I can step in because we have a spotless lamb who died for us. The journey of Jesus to the cross is a grand story of how Jesus makes a way. They say that if the good news of Jesus isn't the best news you've ever heard, you haven't quite heard it right yet. <laughs> if it's not the best news you've heard, you haven't quite heard it yet. And I think we as a church sometimes, Big C Church has not done a very good job of preaching Christ crucified. To say, this is our liberty and freedom. That he took it all upon himself so we can be free from having to be the people to make this world right on our own and by myself. This is the Easter story. And when we read it in this context, it's a profound vision of the good news that takes us somewhere. That shows us a way forward. That deals with what's inside and outside. And it's potent. Preaching Christ crucified. It's on him. I'm free. I'm free because of this. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he gathered his friends around for another symbol. He gathered them around a 
table, <laughs> around a table to tell a last story here. He gathered his friends again, not on the shores with the demon-possessed man, not to show how he is liberating this individual. He's not gathering them in a boat to show them how powerful he is even in the natural world. He's gathering them around a table. And he's getting really close to them. He's leaning right in. And he reminds them of the Passover story. This is the core story of their life. That when they were all enslaved, they took the blood of the lamb. This is when they were in Egypt, their, their historical ancestral story. And they put some blood of a lamb over all of their houses. And as death came over and the firstborns were killed all throughout Egypt, they were saved. This is the Passover story that they tell every Passover around these tables. And he leaned in with them. And they all knew this story, all good Jewish kids. And they'd have leaned in. And he said, remember this story? Remember how God saved? Do you remember how some blood was used that rescued them and freed them? You know what? This is what I'm doing for you. I am coming to you and freeing you. I am the one that rescues you from the sin and the slavery of this world. It's me. And they all get it, I think, except Judas. <laughs> of course, there's always a few. And Judas stands up and he runs out like many have and goes away. No, 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 no. Well, this Easter, Jesus is telling us this story that he is coming near to us with this epic story of his replacement, Christ crucified, his freedom for us. Notice how Jesus breaks something everywhere he goes. <laughs> when he frees this man, he breaks this whole system apart. And he wrecks a whole bunch of their pigs. Jesus, when he's coming in, uh, and they're putting all their, uh, all their blankets down, and they're waving palm trees, he goes and he curses a fig tree, which is a symbol of the temple, and he says, and he breaks it. He's saying, this temple's broken. There's a lot of things. The, the veil is torn. Uh, Judas goes running out. He breaks this bread. He says, there's a lot of breaking going on, but guess what? This is not for your torture. This is for your liberty. Jesus, on the cross, something is broken in him for us, but I think something might be liberated in us too. Some chain is broken. Some system that you are so clung to that you might not even be able to believe that Jesus come close to you could be freedom. It's torture. And Jesus is saying, look me in the eye, tell me your name, you are free. That's what this journey and this Easter week, this Passion Week is about. I'd like to invite up the worship team here. We are going to share in communion together. And so I'd like to, to, to invite them to come and play a little bit while we lead into this moment here. Friends, when the one who made you takes something from you and frees you from something, it's so that you can see that Jesus is here. I think sometimes Jesus has to remove something from in front of us for us to see. Jesus, he sees you in your pain. And he has shown up to be the one that you've longed for. In the table and around this table, I think is a whole lot of symbolism, especially at, at Easter time. But I hope the symbol that you'll notice some more is that it's Jesus leaning in and saying, it's my blood and my body broken for you. I'd like to invite, while the worship team plays, uh, we haven't done this for a long time because of the pandemic. We often just leave the little cups there. But I'm going to invite you to come and just kind of file up here maybe and grab one of these and go and sit back down. And as you do, imagine what it is to come to the table. Jesus comes to us. And guess what? Oftentimes the crowds and the people and, Jesus, and the man even in the, in, in the cemetery run to Jesus. And they gather around because Jesus is near. So I'm, I'm going in, to in, in invite you uh, if you want one of these and want to participate and we'll pray together and wrap up our, our sermon. But uh, yeah, please um, come and come to the table. You are welcome here. Jesus has come to you. Amen.
Amen? Come, you're welcome. Let me read this scripture. The same book to the Corinthians that, that Paul says that he preaches Christ crucified. He invites the Corinthians, another church, to participate in this death and resurrection story, to take into themselves the, the crucified Christ, to make this story their own. Because the hope of this cross isn't that Jesus is a scapegoat, things stay forever hung to the cross. The hope is that in the death, we also experience resurrection life. And so let me read Paul's words here. He says this, On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and says, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do. take this wafer as a remembrance and a participation in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so, we enter into this week, participating in this grand story, making this story our story. 
preach Christ crucified because we also preach Christ risen. Friends, I hope that this week for you, this Passion Week, is one where you get a moment to reflect that Jesus took our place. That Jesus came to us when we were afraid that God might torture us and in fact God was liberating us. Where we wonder where to put our anger at a world full of injustice and Jesus puts himself on a cross and says, give it to me. I will be the one to take not only the scapegoat, but the lamb crucified for you. May this story be ours this week. I hope to see you next, this coming Easter. Please stand with me. Next Sunday, we are going to tell the other part of the story. The resurrection of Jesus and what that means. The story of Easter does not end with the cross. It ends here in our lives today with Jesus alive in us, walking with us, working in us, calling us to love our neighbors and be loved by him. Next week at 10 a.m., come for a little breakfast. We're going to have from 10 to 10.30, we're, we're going to have goodies here. So come, we're going to have coffee and pastries and some fruit and some other things, thanks to our coffee team. And so come early. It's a time of celebration. If you like florals, I always like to wear florals on a Easter morning. Wear some florals, okay? Do it. It's a time of resurrection life, and so come. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. He has come for you. You are free. Amen? Amen. Have a great week, everyone. Bless you. Florals. Thank you.